On Sunday, we want to welcome our online viewers. Uh, first service is the Bible prophecy update that we do weekly, have for many, many years. And second service now is the actual sermon. It's a verse by verse teaching currently in the book of James. And today we're going to talk about talk, specifically straight talk, about talk, as fellow believers in and followers of Jesus. For those of you that read ahead, to stay ahead, you know what's ahead in chapter 3 verses 1 through 12, which will be our text. Uh, also for those of you that are watching by way of YouTube or Facebook, we would encourage you to at this time go directly to the website at jdfrog.org for the uncensored and uninterrupted entirety of today's update. And with that, we'll get started. For today's update, I want to talk with you about the well-known idiom of a blessing in disguise as it relates to Bible prophecy. A simple definition of a blessing in disguise is that of a good thing, initially seeming like it was a bad thing, that in the end turned out to be disguised as a blessing. Doubtless most are aware of the many scriptures to this effect, but the two that I would like to draw your attention to today are Genesis 50:20 and the well-known promise in Romans 8.28. Let's start with Genesis 50.20, one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible, along with all of the verses in all of the Bible. But this is when Joseph is addressing his brothers. And he says to them, but as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Romans 8.28, we really should include Romans 8.29, but Romans 8.28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good, and here's the qualifier, to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose, which is what verse 29 defines, what that purpose is, what the purpose of God is in our lives, which is chiefly to conform us into the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. Now, it's important to understand, and we talked about this on Thursday night in our study through Jeremiah. <laughs> I'm chuckling because, wow, uh, what a book. Um, but the love of God is always unconditional. However, many of the promises of God are conditional. Maybe I need to explain that just a little bit. God's love for us is unconditional. It's the agape love, agape, this unconditional love that is not predicated upon anything that we do. That's the love of God. But when it comes to the promises of God, there are conditions to God's promises. And this is one of those cases where we're promised conditionally that God is going to take everything as bad as it seems. And as only He can, He's going to make it good, work it for good. We don't know how, we don't know when, we don't know the way, but by faith we can know, keyword, that God will take the bad and make it good. No matter how bad it is, 
It cannot and will never change how good God always is. His love is unconditional. Now, you probably know where I'm going with this, so I'll get right to the point and say that the last two plus years have been a blessing in disguise. Would you agree? The enemy, through man's wickedness, has intended all of this for evil. But God has meant it for good. And this in two ways. The first of which is that non-Christians are coming to a saving knowledge of the Lord. And secondly, Christians are coming closer to the Lord. Again, God, as only He can, and is always so faithful to do, has caused all that's happened, is now happening, and even that which is yet to happen, to work together for the good and His glory. That's important, because in the end God will be glorified. However, in so doing, this is also having the effect of exposing the evil and the wickedness of man as we approach the final seven years of human history as we know it. And I personally believe that we are on the cusp of the seven-year tribulation. In the book of Daniel, the last chapter, there's this fascinating prophecy concerning the seven-year tribulation that, when truly understood, speaks to this paramount, powerful principle concerning this prophecy. I want to start with the first four verses of Daniel chapter 12. At that time, verse 1, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that time. By the way, Jesus in Matthew's Gospel chapter 24, we know it as the Olivet Discourse, quotes that verse that we just read concerning the tribulation being the likes of which man has never seen, nor will ever see again. And at that time, Daniel, your people, Israel, shall be delivered. Everyone who is found written in the book. And verse 2, many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Those, verse 3, who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But, verse 4, listen very carefully, you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. You've probably heard this prophecy taught before about knowledge increasing, people going to and fro. Many times, I've done it myself, we'll couch it in terms of travel. 
the increase of technology, and certainly that has happened, and that is part of this prophecy. But I want to propose another possibility in terms of the interpretation of this prophecy that might open it up to you as it did to me. So Daniel is told to seal up this prophecy, seal up, shut up the words, and seal the book until it's time. When's that time? Oh, at the end of time. Seal it up until then. Now, what if instead of reading this as many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase, that we read it also this way. Many will go back and forth to and fro through and through to increase knowledge of the prophecies that have been sealed up and shut up in this book until the time of the end. I did my best. I hope you got that. Are you following with me? Because is that not the context? Again, stay with me, because the context in which Daniel is inspired to write this, and this inspired record of the dialogue that Daniel has with Michael concerning the prophecy in this book, and now Daniel is told, seal it up, close it up, shut it up. This is not for you now. This is for your people then. When? At the end. Oh! So that means that at the time of the end, it's no longer shut up or sealed because there will be many that will go through and through to increase knowledge of the prophecies in this book. Verse 8 of Daniel 12, we see it again. Now here's Daniel responding in this dialogue that he's having with Michael. And he says, although I heard, I did not understand. Then I said, my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? And he said, go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. And then he says this, verse 10, many shall be purified, made white and refined. But the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand. But the wise shall understand. In other words, Daniel, close it up. This is not for you. You go your way, Daniel. But at the time of the end, those who do wickedly will continue to do wickedly. And those who do righteously will continue to do righteously. And oh, by the way, Daniel, it will be those who are wise that will understand, but the wicked will not understand. Now let's fast forward to the last chapter of the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, chapter 22. Verse 10, John by the Holy Spirit writes, And he said to me, Do not seal the words of the prophecy of this book. Oh, wait, did you talk to Daniel about that? Because <laughs> he was told to seal it up. No, unseal it. Don't seal the words of the prophecy of this book. Would you like to know why? For the time is at 
hand. Translated, it's time to open it up. Don't seal it anymore. It's opened up. Take that seal off. Open the words of the prophecy of this book. It's time. It's time. Oh, chicken skin. Goosebumps for those of you on the mainland. We call it chicken skin here. And then notice verse 11. He says the same thing that Daniel was inspired to write. He says, he who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. Oh, that, this settles my heart. And if you'll kindly allow me to, I want to share with you how God has just, I mean, encouraged my heart, strengthened my heart, settled my heart concerning all that is happening. And it, it's kind of filled in some blanks, if I can say it like that, and connected some dots by way of an explanation. It might explain, it certainly does not excuse it, but now I, I see why. Because I just, I just got done reading this unsealed, opened up prophecy in the book about how that those who do wickedly will continue to do wickedly. Oh, I see now. And, and those who are doing righteously will continue to do righteously. Those who are holy will continue to be holy. You see what's happening here? This is why I'm calling it a blessing in disguise. Well, let's go ahead and end the YouTube and Facebook live stream at this time. I'm going to make a statement. I've made it before. And I'm keenly aware that doing so has this propensity to be mis misunderstood. But this whole COVID thing has been the best thing that has ever happened. I'll need to proceed with this presupposition that you understand oftentimes God will allow the evil in order to bring about the good. Example, the aforementioned prophecy in Daniel foretells how it's the evil of the Antichrist that brings Israel to Christ, which by the way is the purpose of the tribulation. It's for the salvation of the Jewish nation. I suppose you could say that the evil God allows serves as a catalyst of sorts to fulfill His perfect prophetic plan at the perfect time, at the time of the end. I like how one said it, the devil is God's devil. Have you ever thought of it like that? He's a created being, you know. He's not omnipotent. He's not omniscient. And He's not omnipresent, which is why I always get a kick. I just as guilty of saying something to the effect of, man, the devil really was attacking me this last week. The devil was? Oh, how do you rate? Because he can't be two places at one time. I mean, she was at your address? Whoa, I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy. No, it's his demons. You know what Satan has been successful in accomplishing is
deceiving people into believing that somehow he's God's opposite. He is not God's opposite. He is a created being. God created him. And I, this might mess you up. I hope it doesn't. But God created Lucifer knowing ahead of time what Lucifer would do. And He created him anyway. <laughs> oh man, I opened up this can. I better deal with it. This explains why it is, by the way, that God, when Lucifer exalted himself in heaven, saying, I will exalt my throne above the Most High. I will, I will, I, 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 has an eye problem. And then he's cast out of heaven to the earth. Now, here's the question, why, why wouldn't God just like zap him? Right on the spot. I would have done that, which is why I'm not going to. And you would have done the same thing too. So, oh really, you want to <laughs> zap, it's over. Why would God allow him to then recruit and take with him a third of the heavenly host, who were also cast out of heaven, down to the earth, where they still are, by the way? Why wouldn't God just like start over and just say, okay, well, so much for that because then all of heaven would have now seen God and served God out of fear and not love. Here's the way I think of it in my, my mind. I know they have clinical terms for things like this, but I just picture in heaven the angels who didn't fall going, did you hear what Lucifer did? And God just zapped him. And a third of our angel friends, you know, the ones we have Bible studies with on Tuesday nights, just zapped them, man. We better, we better be careful. Changes the whole complexion now. And then you can even take it further. So here's Satan, and then God creates Adam and Eve knowing full well Never think for a second that when Adam and Eve sinned, <laughs> that God was in heaven going, are you kidding me? I told you, just one tree. I gave you all of these trees of this one tree. And you, why did you do, what are we going to do now? Plan B. No. God knew exactly what was going to happen. So why didn't God just like start over? Because again, I would have done that, and so would have you done that as well. We need Adam 2.0 and Eve 2.0. Let's try this again. No, it would have changed the whole. See, sin had to, and evil with it, had to run its course. It would have changed everything. And by the way, that's why there was even that tree in the midst of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because God wants to give us a choice so that we're not forced to serve Him and love Him. You know that question of, if God is so loving, why does He allow evil and suffering to continue in the world? Well, I know that's a very complex question. And at the risk of an oversimplification, God is allowing it because man has made his choice. He's given man free will to choose. He wants us to choose because we love Him. He'll never force Himself on anyone. And so He is such a loving God 
that He allows evil to continue. But here's the thing, that evil that He's allowing to continue, going perfectly according to His prophetic plan, right on schedule. Yeah, but pastor, it's really getting bad. I know. But God, yeah, but evil seems to be waxing worse and worse, seemingly with each passing day. I know. But God, God takes that evil and He works it, and it fulfills His perfect prophetic plan. So He'll allow the devil to do all of this. Ask Job, by the way. See, Satan cannot do anything unless God allows him, and God will never allow him to do anything unless ultimately it's for our good and His glory. Don't you find it interesting that, and I tell you, that was another, wow, what a book when we were studying verse by verse through the book of Job. We should get t-shirts. I studied through Job and survived. <laughs> what a book, man. But here's the thing, right out of the chute, the beginning of the book, Satan, who still has access to heaven, by the way, that's why there's going to be the new heavens and the new earth. So God already knew. He just, you know, hey, what you been up to? Oh, I've just been kind of, you know, roaming throughout the earth. And God's like, hey, when you were down there, did you uh, happen to notice my servant Job? Oh yeah, as a matter of fact, I did. And that's actually why I wanted to stop by. Because, you know, the only reason He serves you is because of how you bless Him. You let me just mess with Him, and He'll curse you to your face. God's like, you're on. Man, if, I should, if I'm Job, I'm like, well, I'm, I'm thinking about Peter with Jesus. Remember when Jesus says, hey, Peter, um, Satan has asked for permission for you to sift you as wheat. And I don't know if he paused there, but if he did, and I'm Peter, I'm thinking to myself, you told him no, right? <laughs> No, Peter, I said yes. I gave him permission, and I'm going to allow him to sift you as wheat, because in the end it's going to be for your good and my glory. Okay, Satan, go ahead. And isn't it interesting that God says, you can do this, but you cannot do that. And He could not do anything more than what God allowed Him to do. What's my point? My point is, is that God will control the evil in allowing the evil in so much as it accomplishes His perfect will. The devil is God's devil. Here's another example. Let's go back to Christ's first coming and His subsequent crucifixion, burial, resurrection, and promise of His return. God had to allow the evil of the crucifixion and the death of the Savior, so He could bring the good of His resurrection and salvation. And so too is this true for us in these last days, as it relates to God allowing the unspeakable evil in this world to bring about His good in the end. I would venture to say that there are untold multitudes who are now born again of the Spirit of God because of the evil in today's world. And I'll take it a step further and suggest that there are many who would not have otherwise been saved, had it not been for that which God has allowed. God's allowing all of this. I think we had an update a while back. It was titled, Restraining Evil 
and sustaining righteousness. And this has its scriptural basis in 2 Thessalonians 2 concerning the restrainer who now restrains. He's controlling and restraining the evil he's allowing because it's accomplishing everything that he set it out and allowed it to accomplish. So the evil <laughs> continues, and as we just read in Daniel and Revelation, it's like the wicked that do wickedly will continue to do wickedly. And conversely, the righteous who do righteous will continue to do righteously. But the problem is, is that this is a deception. And God has allowed this evil deception we know as COVID, I'm saying it that way for a reason, which has, is, and will continue to bring people to the end of themselves in the end. And it's having that effect even now. And this side of the rapture, I don't know that we'll ever know about those who lost everything in this world to find salvation in Jesus for the next. Isn't that the paradox of our faith? You know what I mean by that? Replete throughout Scripture. You want to live, die. You want to gain, lose. What shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? The way up is the way down. It's the paradox of our Christian faith. And it goes against everything in our human nature, in our sin nature, in our Adamic nature. It, we chafe against it. You want to find, lose. You want to find your life, lose your life. And sometimes that's what it takes. And God will allow it, because God wants to bring us to the end of ourselves, because it's only then that we'll throw up our hands. Say, Lord, I don't know what to do. Well, the Lord knows what to do. And the Lord has allowed this to bring you, to bring me to that very place. Because had it not been for that, I would have never come to Him. All of those things that I had put my trust in and leaned upon and looked to are gone. I like how one said it. You'll never know that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. But it takes something like this. And that's why it's a blessing in disguise. You'll forgive me for the personal reference, but in my own life, in my walk with the Lord, God allowed the most painful experiences to bring about the greatest blessings. And while I would never want to have to go through them again, I would never trade the blessings that God brought out of it for anything. The good that God did in the midst of the bad that He allowed. I think about the Apostle Paul. He said it basically like this, the sufferings of this life, the difficulties, the hardships, the painful trials, and they're so painful. Nothing, not even to be compared with the glory that awaits. And could it be, by the way, that God has allowed this for this? What do you mean? Well, God has allowed what we call COVID, again, I'm saying it like that for a reason, 
God has allowed all of this to happen. Unthinkable, right? He has allowed all of it to happen, because in and through what He's allowed to happen, He has brought us to Him. Some of us, if we're honest, He's brought us back to Him. Thank you again, Capono. That's that hymn. Uh, I'm a little rusty. I'll do my best. But the guy who wrote that hymn, he backslid. He walked away from the Lord after he wrote that, prone to wander, come thou fount of every blessing. Prone to wander, Lord, I know it. After he wrote that, I mean, magnificent, beautiful hymn, he wandered and he backslid. And then one day he happened upon a woman that was singing his hymn. And he approaches her and enters into this conversation with her. And she's just talking about how wonderful this hymn is. And he says to her something to the effect of, I'm that pitiful man who wrote that hymn. And he broke down. Oh, that I could be that man that I was before I wandered. David in the Psalm, Psalm 119. <laughs> he says, it is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. This is a good thing. This bad thing, it's a good thing. This evil, it's a blessing in disguise. This affliction, oh, it's good. Because had it not been for this affliction, had it not been for this trial, had it not been for God allowing this evil, I don't know. Where would I be, had it not been for this? Again, you'll forgive the personal reference. I. I know over the last couple of years in my own life, God has done a deep work in me as, as a pastor through all of this. Just the, <clears throat> but it's been good. <laughs> been hard, but it's been good. Have you ever thanked God for a painful trial? You know what I'm talking about, right? Where you're just going, Lord, that was horrible, but thank you. Thank you so much, Lord. Thank you for allowing this. Because had it not been for this, I would have never learned the things that you wanted to teach me. Because it was in and through this that you had my undivided attention that you did not have heretofore. I'm busy about many things like Martha. <laughs> There's a lot of Marthas. You know who you are. Don't raise your hand. <laughs> Martha, Martha, you're, why are you so busy? Listen, the tuna casserole can wait. Mary has chosen the better thing, sitting at my feet, hanging on every word. I'll personalize it. J.D., why, what why are you, what, what are you doing? <laughs> why don't you just Do I have your attention yet? Yeah, you got my attention. Okay, we need to talk. There's some things I need to show you. There's some things I need to say to you. 
and I don't have your undivided attention. And I had to allow this so that I could have your undivided attention, because now I've got your undivided attention. Now you're hanging on every word. Now let me, let me tell you what I needed to tell you. Let me show you what I needed to show you, so that you can learn what you need to learn from this. And it took this. And had it not been for this, you would have never learned it. It would have never happened. It is a blessing in disguise. Please know that I don't want to do an unnecessarily long update today, as I often do, which is why I'm going to bring it to an end. <laughs> don't be shocked, please, by this. Okay. And don't look at your watches either. Simply put, this is the end. And this is how it ends. And this by virtue of the fact that Bible prophecy tells us what it will be like at the time of the end. Knowledge of Bible prophecy has increased. And we have in our Bibles, well nigh one third of our Bibles that are prophecy. And many of those prophecies are in some cases very specific as it relates to what will happen at the time of the end. And you don't need to be smart or even have an above average IQ. In fact, sometimes that can be a liability more than an asset. I guess what I'm trying to say is you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure out that as you look at what's happening and you look at your Bible and what it says in Bible prophecy will be happening, it's exactly exactly what's happening. And that's how we know it's the end. Okay, wait a minute, Pastor, because you know, with all due respect, <laughs> I always know I'm in for it when it, someone starts off like that. With all due respect, oh boy, here we go. You know, I just heard this other guy, a well-known prophecy teacher say, hey, you know, we've got probably another 50 years. Um, No, we don't. Well, how can you be so emphatic and dogmatic that we don't have another 50 years? Time doesn't permit, but I'll just give you two reasons. Number one, the technology that we have described in the book of Revelation is the technology that exists today. If you go even 10, 15 years beyond today, you exceed the technology, especially at the swiftness with which technology is advancing. You will exceed the technology that is described in the Bible. Number two, um, I don't want to, this may be for another update yet future, Lord willing. But the earth itself ain't going to make it. Neither will the flesh that dwells on the earth ain't going to make it. With the way things are right now, the way things are going right now, all that is happening right now, no, this is it. This is it. Okay, Pastor, again with all due respect, what if you're wrong? Well, I'll be home with the Lord in 50 years, so <laughs> sorry. Um, and so will you. Well, most, most of you, I think. We just got done reading in Daniel and Revelation 
about how prophecy will no longer be closed up and sealed at the time of the end. And we just got done specifically in chapter 22 of Revelation, reading where John writes, unseal it, don't seal it, because it's the end. It's the time of the end. One last thing. If this is true, and I am absolutely convinced that it is, then knowing that we're this close to the pre-tribulation rapture should give us a burning urgency, if I can say it like that, to get Jesus to people and people to Jesus while we still have time. And this is why we do these updates. This is why we end with the gospel, the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. This is why we end with a simple childlike explanation of salvation by way of the ABCs of salvation. What's the gospel? The gospel is good news. That's what the word means. Good news, your debt has been paid, you're free to go. Good news. Well, who paid the debt? Jesus. How did He pay my debt? Oh, He came to this earth as a man, and was crucified and buried, and He rose again on the third day, and He's coming back again one day. Good news. What are the ABCs? Well, the ABCs are just a simple way to share the gospel with someone. It's not the only way. It's just one way. And the A is for admit or acknowledge that you're a sinner. Because again, and I hope you don't tire of me saying this, but it is so important to understand this when you're sharing the gospel with someone. Unless and until they come to that place where they realize that they're a sinner, they have no interest in the Savior. Why would they have interest in the Savior? And the problem is, is that people as a whole think that they're good enough. Well, I'm a good person. And the problem with that is, is that there's going to be a lot of good people in hell and a lot of very bad people in heaven. Because that's not what determines whether or not someone goes to heaven or not. It has nothing to do with how good we are or the works we do. We are saved by grace through faith. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's what His work was, His finished work on the cross. Romans 3.10 says, there is no unrighteous, not even one. And Romans 3.23 tells us why. It's because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 is really my favorite because it packages, if I can say it like that, the bad news first with the good news. Because I know this isn't proper English, but the badder the bad news is, the gooder the good news will be. What's the bad news? Well, the bad news is, is that the wages of sin is death. And we just got done reading that all have sinned. That means we're all going to die. We're all going to die. Yeah. Because that's the penalty for sin. And we've all sinned. And so we've all been sentenced to death. It's the death penalty. That's the bad news. Here's the good news. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So Jesus now comes and He goes to His death in our stead. I've been sentenced to death. And Jesus says, I'll die for you. No greater love hath any man that he would lay down his life for another. And in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Why? Because of His love for us. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, 
that whosoever would believe in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And that actually brings us to the B, which is central. It's actually simpler than ABC. It's as simple as B, believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. Sounds pretty definite to me. There's no ambiguity here. The jury isn't out. The verdict is in. How do you plead? Guilty as charged. I'm guilty. I've sinned. I've fallen short of the perfect standard of God's righteousness. I've missed the mark, which by the way is what the word sin means. It's an archery term. You shoot the arrow and you miss the bullseye, they would say, you sinned, you missed the mark, you fell short. And we've all missed the mark. We've all fallen short of God's perfect standard of righteousness. And <laughs> Jesus comes and says, you, you sinned, you missed the mark, you fell short, but I didn't. You broke the law. I fulfilled the law. You've been sentenced to death. Would you like for me to go to my death in your stead? Yeah. And then the judge says, good news. Your death sentence, your death penalty has been paid. You are free to go. And whom the Son sets free is free indeed. The C, lastly, is for call upon the name of the Lord, or as Romans 10, 9 and 10 also says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. And here's why. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. And lastly, Romans 10, 13, ah, all, there's that word again, all. Look it up in the original language of the Greek New Testament. You know what the word all means? I know it's deeply profound. All. All have sinned. All who call upon the name of the Lord will, will, will be saved. It's that simple. Maybe in some ways it could be argued too simple, but it's childlike simple. Jesus said, unless you become like a little child, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Aren't you glad for the simplicity, the childlike simplicity of the gospel? Aren't you glad it's that easy and simple? Could you imagine if it was complicated? Well, I, I wouldn't be saved. If I had to do something or complete an application or a form or, you know, fulfill these certain requirements, I, I, I wouldn't be saved. No, it's it's that simple. For me, this was 40 years ago, Romans 10, 13, 40 years ago. All I did was, and, I, and it, nothing magic or mystical in the prayer, nothing wrong with that, by the way. We talked about this last week in the James teaching. You can repeat a prayer or say a prayer. That's not what saves you. For me, when I called upon the name of the Lord, I just First of all, I was very intoxicated. I'm not proud of this. I was very high. I didn't really pray. I slurred everything. <laughs> it was just like, God, I want to go to hell. That's how I got saved. I call upon you. I fell asleep praying. I woke up the next morning. I was a new creation in Christ. All things had passed away. All things have become new. And I know it's different for everybody, but for me, it was so dramatic. I mean, it just, I, no longer did I desire those things, because I was a new creation. I had the Holy Spirit in me now. And I was born again. 
I was a new creation, all because I called upon the name of the Lord. I want to share, lastly, uh, but God testimony. This comes from Chris Jacobson, who writes, but God. <laughs> well, JD, my pastor, my wife and I stepped out in faith and trusted the Lord to see us through. We both lost our income. My wife got paid off, fired. I was on unpaid leave for four months, although the government paid me all my sick leave, so I only missed out on three or four weeks pay. We live in Perth, Western Australia, where it is almost impossible to duck the needle and still have a job. No jab, no job. My wife lost her job with, get this, Roche Pharma after 15 years of being a research project manager working on new drugs and trial drugs. She has just got an interview with a company that does not require an injection, and that's looking very good. We'll find out this week. I have had to go to doctors and manage to get an appointment with my neurologist who gave me a letter suggesting that I not be given any injections. <laughs> the doctors made it crystal clear, unless you were half dead, no one will get an exemption. Like most people, I knew it was impossible. And I gave up. I failed and complained. I guess I must be a Hebrew facing the Red Sea, and lost all hope. Thy will be done is all I have left, but God. I got exemption from all injections. I just need to get notification of when to return to work. Thank you, Jesus. And thank you, Pastor J.D. I love it when God does that. Yeah, praise the Lord. Capono, come on up. Why don't you stand up and we'll close in prayer and song. And just so grateful to you, Lord. <laughs> How could we ever thank you enough? Oh God, thank you for Bible prophecy. Thank you for the gospel simplicity. Thank you for salvation, freely given as a gift that you paid for in full. Lord, thank you that you control the evil, you allow the evil, <laughs> because it's ultimately fulfilling perfectly, perfectly your prophetic plan in the end. So Lord, so be it. Lord, for anyone that might be here or watching online that has never called upon you, putting their trust in you, believing, Lord, I pray that today is the day of their salvation, that they would not delay the most important decision of their life for eternal life. Lord, thank you. We love you so much. Lord, Maranatha, come quickly. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Oh, the goodness, the goodness of Jesus. Satisfied, He is all that I need. May it become what may that I rest all my days in the goodness of Jesus. Oh, the goodness, the goodness of Jesus. Satisfied, is all that I need. May it become what may that I rest all my days in the goodness of Jesus.
Jesus. May it be, may it become what may that I rest all my days in the goodness of Jesus. God bless you.